How many are happy to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Can you say amen? amen. I got one more announcement that was not included in the video uh, because it simply transpired last night. I got a call from, from uh, Guillermo Perez, who is co-owner of Sliver Pizzeria yeah. in Berkeley, California. Can I get a witness? Yeah. Sliver Pizzeria is having a special fundraiser for our trip to Indonesia. And by the way, we leave for Indonesia next week on Wednesday. Not this Wednesday, but the following Wednesday. Our team is leaving for Indonesia. And Sliver Pizzeria, a week from today, next Sunday, is doing a special fundraiser for our Indonesia trip after church on Sunday. Here's the thing. Sliver does not open on Sundays. But they're opening next Sunday specifically to raise money for our trip to Indonesia. Yeah. And so Living Hopers are going to be working behind the counters, making pizzas and and uh, I want everybody to come. We're going to go after church next Sunday and uh, bring your friends and your family members. Tell everybody you know to come. Uh, check Facebook. If you have not gone to the Living Hope Christian Center Facebook page, please visit it as often as you can because we put updates on announcements there as well as on our website. Uh, so we will be Facebooking the heck out of it this week. But it's going to be an awesome time for us to raise our necessary funds for our trip to Indonesia next week. Amen? Amen. You happy to be in the house of the Lord? So, we are in the first of eight segments of our One Things process. And for those of you who don't know, One Things is a two-year process that we have just begun this June. It's a two-year process of holistic growth in our relationship with Jesus Christ. There's eight primary areas, and we're taking three months uh, to develop each of those eight areas. So, over the summer, the months of June, July, and August, we've started with the first segment. And the first segment is our focus on spirituality. Now, the month of June, we did a three-part series on personal spirituality. We talked about your personal walk with God. And in the month of June, we had three different aspects of personal spirituality that we looked at. First, we looked at creating space for God in your everyday life. Uh, having a deeper walk with God, a deeper spiritual life, starts with creating room for Him. You've got to give Him some space. You've got to take some time to be with God. But then in the second week, we talked about filling that space with the presence of God because it's not just about discipline. It's not just about prayer, but it's about actually meeting with God in your time with him. And then in the third week of June, we talked about filling your life with God. That is the presence of God bursting beyond the barriers of your personal time with him and actually having a life that's filled with the presence of God. Now, the month of July, we moved from personal spirituality to corporate spirituality, and we talked first about the church as the assembly of God. And when we speak of the church as assembly, we acknowledge that the primary reason that we meet together is not for each other. The primary reason that we meet together is to meet with God. And so we are an assembly first. And that's why when you first come to the house, when you first walk in the door, we don't start with connecting with people. We start with connecting with God. And we call that worship. And in worship, we transcend the local space that we're in, and we become a part of a worldwide community of believers in Jesus Christ who are all worshiping God together. We become the assembly of God. In the second week of July, we talked about the church as a community because not only are we an assembly who assembles to meet with God, but we're also a community that assembles to connect with each other. And there's the priority. In worship, we connect with God and we are filled with his love, and then we turn towards each other and release that love into each other's lives. And that's the way our services are structured. When you first walk in the door, we worship and connect with God. And then at the end of worship, we always say, now find 10 people to hug. Why? Because we're moving from assembly to community and growing, talking about what it means to grow as a community of believers. And then in the third week of July, we talked about 
discipleship is the primary purpose of the church, and discipleship is the process of growing to full maturity in Christ. And in that message, we discovered that we facilitate the process of discipleship by learning how to speak the truth in love. And speaking the truth in love will cause us to grow up in all things into him who is the head, even Christ. This month, we're going to finish up our three-part series on spirituality We talked about personal spirituality in June, corporate spirituality in July. In the month of August, we're going to focus on what I call applied spirituality. And I'm going to be delivering a three-part series here in the month of August that I'm calling A Vision for Spirit Fullness. A Vision for Spirit Fullness. So in this series, we're going to really get to the heart of what spirituality is all about. How many know that spirituality is not about prayer? Spirituality is not about prayer. Just because you pray does not make you spiritual. You know, a few months ago, my wife and I got in a big fight, big argument one night. And she said, you need to go pray. And I said, you're right. And so I prayed. I prayed almost all night that night. I mean, I just, I just prayed. And the next morning, I was still mad at her. <laughs> and she said, I told you last night, you need to pray. I said, I did pray. I prayed almost all night. She said, no, 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 I didn't mean just pray. I mean get in the spirit. I mean get out of the flesh. Because you prayed all night and you're still in the flesh. You didn't do nothing. What is actually important is moving out of the flesh and into the spirit. See, you can pray till you're blue in the face, but if you're not willing to release your anger and release your unforgiveness and abandon your flesh, whatever it is, if you're not turning away from it and turning towards the Lord, prayer isn't anything. What it's all about is the spirit, not the discipline of prayer. When we're talking about prayer, studying the Bible, worship, gathering together, all of these things, we're talking about the way in which we approach the spirit of God. But the destination is not prayer. The destination is the spirit of God. And so the key to spirituality is the spirit. Spirituality is not about a bunch of spiritual practices. It's about being in the spirit. And it's about being full of the Holy Spirit. I want us to get a vision for spirit fullness. If I were to ask you your vision for your life, my question is, is spirit fullness at the center of that vision? Or is money at the center of it? Or is good relationships at the center of it? We can have all kinds of things. Is success in business at the center of your vision for your life? We can have all kinds of wonderful things at the center of our vision for our life, but without spirit fullness, we're missing something that is central to God's purpose for our lives and something that is central to our humanity. Because what I want to show you is that you don't even know what it means to be a human until you begin to experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to talk about spirit fullness, a vision for spirit fullness. And this is what spirituality is all about. Now, the key passage for understanding spirit fullness, the paradigmatic passage, is found in the book of Acts chapter 2. The book of Acts chapter 2 begins 40 days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The scripture says after he was raised from the dead, he walked with his disciples for 40 days, and he taught them about the kingdom of God. And then at the end of that 40 days, he took them up to the Mount of Olives, and he told them to go wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. He gave them the Great Commission. He said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to do everything that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the earth. But after that, he said, but don't go yet. You're going to go into all the world. But before you go, 
wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. It's going to come. The promise of the Holy Spirit is going to come. Remember what John the Baptist said when he baptized Jesus in the Jordan. He said, there's one coming after me who is greater than I. I'm not worthy to unlatch his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so Jesus says to his disciples, remember what John promised. Before you even met me, what you heard about me was that I'm bringing a baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. Well, I'm telling you I'm about to fulfill that promise. It's about to go down. So you go to Jerusalem and you wait until that promise is fulfilled. And once that promise is fulfilled, then you're going to obey the commission and go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. They go and wait in the upper room. They find an upper room. Now, you know, the whole thing about the upper room, they didn't go into an upper room because it's more spiritual to be in a higher place. They weren't in an upper room. You know, I saw, you know, somebody was telling me, went to a church where somebody was standing on a chair going, I'm closer to you, Jesus. No, you're not. They were in an upper room because they were scared. They had the doors shut. It was the, it was the best place they could hide. Why? Because Jesus promised them that they would be like him. And he had just got killed. Not killed. Killed. And so they were afraid that they were next. They were afraid that the Romans were looking for them. And so they were hiding in an upper room, scared to death, afraid of their affiliation with Jesus. Scared, to be aff- scared that somebody on their jobs were going to find out that they were Christians and think they were fanatics. Scared that one of their friends would find out that they were disciples of Jesus Christ and that they would be in trouble. Scared that they would be rejected for the sake of Christ. Scared to death. And so they wanted to remain undercover brothers. Now it says in Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. That word Pentecost is a Greek term that literally means 50. When the day of 50 had fully come. Now, the day of Pentecost refers to the feast of Pentecost. And in ancient Israel, they celebrated three primary feasts. There were several other feasts, but there were three primary feasts. And the three central feasts were, first of all, the feast of the Passover, which commemorated their exodus out of Egypt. Remember, the night before their exodus, the angel of death passed over because they put the blood of the lamb over the the, the threshold of their home, the doorposts of their home. And so it it symbolizes the way God brought them out of Egypt. And so when they would celebrate the Feast of Passover, they would eat unleavened bread, matzah, just as they did on the night of Passover. And then 50 days later, they would celebrate the Feast of the Firstfruits, which became known as the Feast of Pentecost because it was 50 days later, the Feast of 50 because it was 50 days after Passover. And what the Feast of Pentecost commemorated was the way in which God revealed himself on Mount Sinai because after they left Egypt, they crossed the Red Sea and journeyed through the desert and arrived at Sinai exactly 50 days after the day they left Egypt. And so, and on the 50th day, Remember, they got there 47 days after, actually. But God told Moses, sanctify the people for three days. And on the 50th day, after the three days of sanctification, 
Then God came and sat on the mountain, and the mountain began to melt under the glory of God. And there was a billow of smoke, and there was a sound of a blast of a trumpet, but nobody had a trumpet. And, and, and God began to speak to them from the mountain. And God said, I am Yahweh Eloheinu, the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt on eagles' wings. And he began to speak the Ten Commandments to them. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not bow down to them. You shall not worship them. For I, Yahweh Eloheinu, am a jealous God. And the people cried out. They said, Moses, you go tell God to talk to you, and you tell us what he says. We want his word, but we can't handle the glory. Sound familiar? We want his words, but all this manifestation of glory, keep it on the mountain. You and God go do it. We want it to be between you and God. Just give us the word. You know, we see in so many sects of Christianity that some people want the glory and some people want the word. And some people want the word and not the glory. And other people want the glory and not the word. But God wanted his people to have both the glory and the word. And so they celebrated the Feast of Pentecost. It It was a celebration of revelation. It was a commemoration of the way God had revealed himself to his people on the mountain. It was called the Feast of the First Fruits also because what they would do in the, in the Feast of Pentecost was they would, it was harvest time, and they would bring the first fruits, the first shaft of wheat from the wheat harvest, and they would offer it to God. It's the first fruits. Why? Because in the ancient world, the owner of any harvest received the first fruits of that harvest. If you owned a vineyard, the harvesters at harvest time would take that first cluster of grapes and lay it on your table. And the Lord of the harvest, you were the owner of the vineyard, you were the Lord of the harvest, you would come sit at the table and partake. You would eat that first cluster of grapes. You received the first fruits, and once you received the first fruits, you released the whole harvest. Now the harvesters could reap the whole harvest. The one who receives the first fruits owns the whole harvest. And so the Feast of Pentecost was the Feast of first fruits because it was not only a commemoration of God's revelation, but it was an offering to God of the entire harvest of Israel. They offered him the first fruits of their harvest, and they said, God, all of this is yours. We see this in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9, which says, Honor the Lord with your substance and with the first fruits of your increase. This is the foundation for our teaching on the tithe and the offering. When you bring God your offering, you should bring him your first fruits. Not your second fruits or third fruits. Not your fourth fruits or fifth fruits. Not Uncle Sam first, God second. Not the rent and the light bill and God third. Not that new pair of shoes and a pedicure and then God. God gets the first fruits. The first thing I think about when I get paid is my offering to God. Giving God the first fruits, and the, proverb, the, the, psalmist, the author of Proverbs says, So shall your barns be filled with plenty, and your vats burst with new wine. But what God wants us to see is that he's not asking us to do anything that he's not willing to do. Because Paul says in Romans chapter 8, I believe verse 23, that we have received the first fruits of the Spirit. Hold on a second. We received the first fruits of the Spirit? You know what that means? God gives us a tithe of his kingdom by giving us the gift of the Holy Spirit. Just as we offer him the first, we give him wheat, he gives us his kingdom. We give him wheat, he gives us his kingdom. Come on, that's enough to make a Presbyterian speak in tongues. Some of you are crying about the offering. God gives you his kingdom. The first fruits of the Spirit. And so what we see is the day of Pentecost had fully come here in Acts chapter 2. 
It was time to offer God the wheat. And God says, save the wheat. I'm offering you the spirit. And it says they were gathered in one place and in one accord, and they had been there for 10 days. How do we know? Jesus walked with them for 40 days after his resurrection. And the Feast of Pentecost is the day of 50. There's a 10-day gap. For that 10 days, they were in the upper room. They were praying continually. They were seeking the face of God, and nothing of significance happened until the Spirit came. You can pray for 10 days, and it's insignificant until the Spirit comes. But when the Spirit comes, you can pray for five minutes, and the whole world changes. And so it says, the day of Pentecost had fully come. They were all gathered in one place and in one accord. There came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the place that they were assembled in. And cloven tongues as of fire separated and rested above each head. In the ancient world, fire, if you, look, if you light a torch and you hold it up, you look at the shape of fire, the fire on that torch, it's shaped kind of like a tongue. And so tongues of fire was a, was a very common idiom in the ancient world. You say you get, there's a tongue of fire. If we all got torches and held them up, there'd be, this room would be filled with tongues of fire. That was the idiom. And so when it says tongues of fire separated and rested above each head, literally there was this huge ball of fire, and it broke up into pieces, and a tongue of fire rested above the head. It was like each and every believer became a torch. And they saw it. There was this vision. There was something that was happening, and it was a revelation. And it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember, they're commemorating the day of Pentecost on Mount Sinai when God sits on a mountain. On Mount Sinai, God inhabits a mountain. On the day of Pentecost in the upper room, God inhabits a people. They were commemorating an external revelation of God's nature on the mountain. And at the moment of that commemoration, God releases a new revelation, and it is an internal revelation of the glory of God. They're not looking and seeing the glory of God anymore. They're receiving the glory of God on the inside of them now. You getting this? Okay. And so all of a the sudden, there's a completely different character to the revelation of God when you compare Pentecost with Sinai. It's no longer an external revelation. It's an internal revelation. And it's no longer an external law. It's an internal law. It's the law of the Spirit. Okay? We see that in Jeremiah 31, 31 and following. For those of you Bible students who really want to go look at that, I encourage you to do it. Now, there's some key things that we need to understand. If you, if you study Acts chapter 2, what we begin to see is that what happened was fullness of the Spirit. But there are three primary components of fullness of the Spirit that this passage of Scripture highlights. And we get into trouble when we highlight one component and not another. And if you go through the different denominations and groups and networks in Christianity, in contemporary Christianity, often the distinction is that one group emphasizes another aspect of fullness of the Spirit than another one does. And we need to be aware that all three are important. And what I want to do in the month of August is give us more of a holistic vision of what it means 
to be filled with the Spirit so that as we pursue spirit fullness, we are pursuing it in a holistic manner and not in a contracted manner. The first component of spirit fullness we see here in Acts chapter 2 is what I call the ecstasy of the Spirit. When we're talking about the ecstasy of the Spirit, we're talking about the experiential effect of having been filled with the Holy Spirit. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, there is an experiential effect. You feel it. The fullness of the Spirit is first about feeling. It's about experiencing God's presence. It's about knowing Him to be real in a deeper dimension than simply your mind. It's about going beyond a doctrinal, theological awareness that God is in your heart. It's about actually experiencing Him to be in your heart. Experiencing your body to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. It is about an experiential communion with God. Because if I told you that I have communion with Alan, but I actually never talk to him and he never talks to me, then we don't actually have communion. However, I know we're in fellowship and we're in covenant. Even if we don't talk, I see him because we're part of the same church and we're part of the same family and there's no ill feelings between us. And so we're in covenant, but we don't have real communion. A lot of believers are in covenant with God, but have no real communion with him. We're going to heaven. You know, we've believed in his son. We've received him as Lord and Savior, but there's no real interchange or interaction between us at the experiential level. So we have covenant, but no communion. And God wants to take us beyond covenant to the place of communion. So first, the ecstasy of the spirit which is the experiential effect of having been filled with the Spirit. Secondly, the ethics of the Spirit. The ethics of the Spirit, which is the relational effect of having been filled with the Spirit. Later in Galatians 5, Paul refers to this ethics of the Spirit as the fruit of the Spirit. Okay? And thirdly, the energy of the Spirit. The energy of the Spirit is what I call the vocational effect of having been filled with the Spirit. And I'll speak of that as the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So there's the experience of the Spirit. There is the ethics of the Spirit, or the relational result of having been filled with the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. And then there's the gifts of the Spirit, or the energy of the Spirit. Okay? Are you with me? Now, when we're speaking of the ecstasy of the Spirit, we're looking at Acts chapter 2 that they were filled with the Spirit and something happened. They spoke in other tongues. But when they spoke in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance, it was simply a re- it, was an, it was something that happened between them and God. You know, when God fills you up with His Holy Spirit and overwhelms your, 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 your body, mind, and soul with His Spirit, something happens between you and God. Amen. You don't need anybody else in that moment. Matter of fact, you don't want anybody else in that moment. Sometimes people laying hands on you in that moment is just a distraction. Because no need to try to release something to me. I've already received it. And you ain't got nothing more than this. Sometimes it's just you and God. Me and God all by myself. And I'm not trying to distract nobody. But I'm going to have my time with me and God. And nothing's going inter- to interfere with this. But there must be an ethics that comes out of that. Living out of the fruit of the Spirit. Because you can speak in tongues all you want, but if you come out of your prayer closet and don't love your brother, you're a liar. 
come out of the prayer closet and got no love, no joy, no peace, no patience, no long-suffering, no self-control. There's no fruit. And what we see is that some, some groups focus on the experiential dimension, the ecstasy of the Spirit. We're going to get together and feel. And others focus on the ethics of the Spirit. Forget all that feely stuff. We're just going to love one another. Love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering. And then others focus on the energy of the Spirit, which is we're going to go out and do. But we need all three. We need to come in and feel the ecstasy of the Spirit. Then we need to get up and love the ethics of the Spirit. Then we need to go out and do the energy of the Spirit, which is the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So today... I'm going to talk about the ecstasy of the Spirit. Next Sunday, we're going to talk about the ethics of the Spirit, or the fruit of the Spirit. And then the third Sunday, we're going to talk about the energy of the Spirit, which is the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And these three messages together will establish in you a holistic vision of spirit fullness. When we pursue all three of these things in equal measure, we are pursuing what, what the Bible speaks of, as the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So today we're going to start with ecstasy. Ecstasy. First thing you think of when I say ecstasy is a drug. And some of you think of it from an experiential perspective. Some of you, when I say ecstasy, you go back to a particular day and time particular group of friends, a particular situation, a particular time in your life, and some of you think back on it and smile, and others of you think back on it and go, oh, Lord, don't talk to me about ecstasy. Don't use the word ecstasy in relation to the Holy Spirit because you might get people tripped up thinking the Spirit of God is a drug, and there's a lot of people that try to relate the Spirit of God to drugs. Let me tell you something. One is the real thing and the other is the counterfeit. You know what drugs are? Drugs is nothing more than man's attempt to create ecstasy apart from the spirit. Let me tell you something. You can't talk about the spirit without talking about ecstasy. And you can't talk about ecstasy without talking about the spirit. You see, the drug creates a false sense of ecstasy. But the spirit gives you what the real thing is supposed to be. You don't know ecstasy until you begin to experience the spirit of the living God. But we need to understand what ecstasy really is. Ecstasy is a state of intense feeling of rapturous delight. It is a transcendent state that is beyond your normal consciousness. Can I say that again? Ecstasy is a state of intense feeling of rapturous delight. It is a transcendent state that is beyond your normal consciousness. Let me tell you something. You were created for ecstasy. You were created to experience on a daily basis a state of intense feeling of rapturous delight. You were created to live in a state that is transcendent, that is beyond your normal consciousness. You were created for it. It is not merely possible. It is intrinsic to your being to desire ecstasy. You long for ecstasy. Whether you want to long for it or not, it is hardwired into your being 
to desire to experience ecstasy. Matter of fact, the moment God created Adam, the first gift he gave him was the gift of ecstasy. Because the scripture says that he formed him out of the dust of the ground and then breathed into his nostrils the spirit of life. And when he breathed the spirit of life into his nostrils, I know the Bible says breath of life, but that same word actually means spirit. And he breathed into his nostrils. He gave him the gift of the Holy Spirit. The first thing he did was give him the gift of the Holy Spirit and man became a living soul. Adam's first moment of consciousness was a moment of ecstasy. His first conscious moment as a human being, as a living soul, was a moment of ecstasy in which he was filled with the Holy Spirit and in a face-to-face encounter with God. It was as if God said, Adam, I'm going to set the bar high from the very, very beginning. I'm going to establish this in you so firmly that you know from the moment of your creation that there is nothing in the world that can satisfy you like my presence, like my spirit. I'm going to create you so that you spend every moment from this moment on waiting for another hit, waiting for another face-to-face encounter, waiting to meet me in the secret place, knowing that nothing in this world satisfies you like me. And so I'm going to put you in the garden and there's going to be all kind of fruit there. But there's no fruit like the fruit of my presence. And there's no fruit like the fruit of my spirit. And I'm going to set you up so that every day you leave behind the animals and the fruit and the garden and the beauty and even that wife of yours. And you're going to walk with me in the cool of the day. And God showed up to walk with Adam. And when God would show up, Adam forgot about everything and everybody because it was about that face-to-face encounter with God again. God, breathe into my nostrils once more. Give me that gift of the Holy Spirit once more. Now, if we understand the doctrine of salvation, we understand that every component of the doctrine of salvation or every component of our salvation is a restoration of what we lost. God gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit when we come to faith in Christ because we lost it in rebellion in the Garden of Eden. You see, what Adam and Eve lost when they rebelled against God and were put out of the garden, they lost the ecstasy of the divine presence. They lost that sense of ecstasy. They lost that high, that buzz that comes from being in the presence of the Holy Spirit. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever prayed until you came into that place? where you just had that Holy Spirit buzz, where you just felt the presence of the Holy Spirit all up in here, all up in your physical body, where you could feel him in your head, where you could feel him in your heart and your hands. Sometimes I feel the presence of God so strong, I feel him in my fingertips. I feel him in my toes. I feel him in my chest and in my face. God manifests himself and I feel him in my physical body. Do you know that your physical body was created to host the presence of God? Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit whom you have received and you are not your own. When God created Adam, he built himself a temple. And he said, I'm going to indwell this man. I'm going to live with him. And so God created you for ecstasy. Now, Adam and Eve sinned against God and were put out of the garden, and it was the promise of ecstasy that tripped up Eve. Because the serpent said, God knows that on the day you eat of this, you'll become like him. Eve understood that God lives in a higher state of ecstasy than we do. The thing you need to understand about God is that God exists in a continual state of ecstasy. 
You know, when you go into the presence of God, you're experiencing the life and power of God and the, the inexpressible and glorious joy that Peter talked about. God experiences that always. 24 7, 365 for an, e- for an eternity in each direction. You go back into eternity and God is living in ecstasy. And you go forward into eternity and God is living in ecstasy. Listen, you need to know that God did not create the heavens and the earth because he was lonely. He's God all by himself. He was in ecstasy. He created the heavens and the earth out of his ecstasy, out of his fullness, not out of his emptiness. He didn't create us to satisfy his longing. He created us to satisfy his joy. And God, what he wants from you more than anything else is that you would come back to that place of ecstasy in him. That is, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Not when we're most religious. Not when we're most somber. Not when we're most serious. But when we're most satisfied in him. That's what God wants from us. And so Adam and Eve, Satan promised Eve that if you eat of this fruit, you'll become like God. God will take you to a higher place. This, this will take you to a higher place. Yeah. And she forgot that she was already like God. Yeah. That she was already living in the divine ecstasy. She forgot. She didn't know. And so she was trapped by this promise of ecstasy that she could obtain by her own power. And so she neglected the fact that God was already providing her with ecstasy out of his freedom and benevolence. Now, Paul talks about the difference between the flesh and the spirit. When Paul talks about the spirit, he's talking about the divine provision of supernatural ecstasy. When he talks about the flesh... He's talking about everything that you and I can do in our own power to provide ourselves with ecstasy. So when we're talking about the flesh, we're talking about trying to produce a state of intense feeling and rapturous delight for yourself in your own power. And so because we need that, we're cut off from God, and so we got to create it for ourselves. And so how do we create it? Drugs, sex, and rock and roll. Money, sex, and power. Whatever list you create, sex is going to be in there. And the thing we need to understand is that these things are not bad. Money isn't evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. Two different things. Sex is not evil. Sex is good. Can I get a witness? It's wonderful. In the right context, at the right time, and within the right boundaries. And those boundaries in that context is a fully committed, loving relationship between a husband and a wife that is mutually self-giving. In that context, sex is wonderful. Outside of that context is the flesh trying to create ecstasy for you outside of the presence of God. Come on, somebody. What we are seeing in our culture is a whole bunch of stuff trying to hijack the Holy Spirit. Trying to hijack the Spirit. Trying to take... See, God does not go into a human court and create a patent on things. Because if he had, sex and money and rock and roll and drugs and all of this stuff could never even exist 
or it would never have a chance. It couldn't, not in its, not in its illicit manifestations. It wouldn't have a chance. Why? Because God said, I already got the patent on this. You can't give ecstasy to my people. Only I can give ecstasy to my people. You cannot take that which I've created and give it which only I can give. You were created for ecstasy. God's original intent was to take us up into his ecstasy on a daily basis. So when the Holy Spirit came down in the upper room in Acts chapter 2, the first thing the Holy Spirit created was ecstasy. They were so high on the Holy Spirit that they forgot that they were afraid. Remember, they went into that room because they were scared. They closed all the doors and all the windows, closed the curtains. They went in there because they were scared. And the Holy Spirit blew the doors and windows open and opened the curtains, and they didn't even notice. They forgot that they were scared. You know, you spend so much time fighting fear, you get into the presence of God, you'll, you'll forget you were afraid. They forgot that they were, had been rejected by the entire Jewish community. You get filled with the Holy Spirit, you'll forget that you feel rejected everywhere you go. They forgot that they were timid. They forgot that they were unlearned. They forgot that they were inexperienced. They forgot that they were powerless. They forgot that they were failures. They forgot that their families had turned their backs on. They forgot all of that stuff. Why? Because they were taken up into the ecstasy of the Holy Spirit. And when God takes you up into the ecstasy of the Holy Spirit, the only thing that you can become aware of is that God is good. And God is here. God is right now. God is loving. You know, my pastor, my spiritual father, Robert Daniels, he talks about how he, grew, he lived his life feeling rejected and feeling alone and feeling afraid and feeling like he didn't fit in. And he was telling me, he said, yeah, you know, I was doing all kinds of stuff in my teens and early 20s to try to get people to like me and to try to fit into places. He said, I tried acting like a thug. <laughs> See, some of you are laughing because you know him. He doesn't have an ounce of thug in his body. He'd be the funniest looking thug you've ever seen. Nobody would be scared of him. He said, I tried smoking weed. You know, I'm smoking weed with people. Yeah, you know, on the corner. Drink a 40, you know. He said, I tried so hard to fit in. He said, I, found, I just couldn't fit in. I still felt rejected everywhere I went. He said, then I got married. And he said, in 1981, my wife said, we got to go to this revival service tonight. He said, I, I didn't want to go. He said, but I looked into my wife's eyes. And I saw that look that said, this is not open for discussion. <laughs> Can I get a witness? Husbands, you know that look? <laughs> he said, I just saw that look that said, don't even try it. You are going. He said, I know who's boss in my house, so I wouldn't put on my clothes. <laughs> he said, look, man's got to do what a man's got to do. So I'm going to do what you tell me to do. Let's go. Because <laughs> I'm the man. He said he went to that revival service, and he said, I got filled with the Holy Spirit. And he said, in that moment when the Holy Spirit filled me to overflowing, I found all of the love, all of the acceptance, all of the delight, all of the joy that I had ever longed for and more. And I realized that this is where I can find it. He said, so I became addicted to the presence of the Lord from that moment. And you know what he did? From that moment until this, he just prays like hours and hours every day. Not religiously like, I got to go pray. You know, because I got to be spiritual. 
No, out of delight. Out of delight. He goes there because he knows that that is his source of joy, of power. Do you know that God would much rather you seek him out of delight than out of obligation? Do you not realize that obligation is the great enemy of love? Mm. Ecstasy. The first thing the Holy Spirit created in that upper room was the experience of intense feeling of rapturous delight. He created a state that transcends normal consciousness. And that's the first thing that the Holy Spirit wants to do for you is to provide you with a state of intense feeling of rapturous delight. Now, this state of intense feeling that we call spirit fullness, it says they were filled with the Holy Spirit, it does something internally first, and then it does something externally second. The first thing it does internally is it renews your mind and it fills your heart. When we're talking about the renewal of the mind, we're talking about the extraction of deception. We're talking about the distraction of a thinking process that takes you away from the presence of God. Because when the presence of God breaks into your life, the first thing he does is break down mental barriers in your mind that keep you outside of the presence of God. And the second thing is he fills your heart to overflowing. And when we're talking about your heart, we're talking about your internal capacity for feeling. It is your internal capacity for emotion, for connection with God and with others. And their hearts were filled to overflowing with the presence of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit. But this has an external effect. Because Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. How many know that what's ever in your, mouth, in your heart is going to come out of your mouth? I mean, if it's in your heart, it's going to come out of your mouth at some time or another. That's why husbands and wives, if you're thinking negative things about your spouse, you're going to end up saying negative things to your spouse. But if you're thinking positive things about your spouse, you're going to end up saying positive things about your spouse. And that's why if something bad happens and in your mind you allow a train of expletives to go through your mind but you don't say nothing, yeah, one of these days you're going to slam your, your finger in a car door or hit your finger with a hammer trying to, and your mouth is going to open up and out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth is going to speak. <laughs> a very dear brother in this congregation told me a story recently about a, he was walking up the street here, and this brother is filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with love, wisdom, joy, got the teaching of the house. And he's walking up the street here, and a kid tried to take his cell phone from him. Wow. Riding by on his bike, the guy tried to snatch it out of his hand, and he caught it at the last minute. The kid fell off his bike, and he said, before I could think, I cussed that kid out with every word I could. <laughs> the F are you doing? You know what I mean? He was probably praying for somebody on the phone. Yes, Father in the name of what the? I said, after that, did you lead him to Jesus? After you cursed him, did you lead him to Jesus? When your heart is overwhelmed with the presence of the Holy Spirit, your mouth can't help but speak. Let me tell you something. I believe the gift of tongues is an extremely important gift. I believe it's available to every believer in Jesus Christ. However, I'm far more interested in you experiencing the ecstasy of the Spirit than I am about you speaking in tongues. The point is that when we push people to pursue tongues, 
instead of spirit fullness. Then we're pushing to the functional and missing the whole relational. And the point is that your heart is overwhelmed and overflowing with the presence and power of God to the point where your mouth cannot help but speak the glories of the Lord. And when your heart is filled with the transcendent experience of the Spirit, your, mind, your mouth cannot help but speak out of that transcendent experience. And that's what we call speaking in other tongues. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul calls it the tongues of angels. Speaking the heavenly language. Speaking as the Holy Spirit gives utterance. The Holy Spirit will change your language. Amen. 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 You know, in Paul's theology, if you read the Apostle Paul, you read the 13 letters of the Pauline Corpus, there's some key things that begin to emerge very clearly. And what begins to emerge is that the center of Paul's thought, the center of Paul's teaching, is the experience of the Holy Spirit. Paul presupposes that the presence of the Holy Spirit is an experiential reality. And for Paul, the experience of the Holy Spirit is the primary witness to the reception of salvation. In the early church, you know how people knew they were saved? They got filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, there was this overwhelming infilling of the Spirit. And in our day and in our time, we have exchanged this experiential dimension of the Spirit's presence for a doctrinal knowing, a theological certitude, The Spirit of God lives in you. Why? Because you came to faith in Jesus Christ. And that is true. You're not saved because you spoke in tongues. You're not saved because you manifested some spiritual reality. You're not saved because you fell out and rolled around. You're saved because you believed. And when you believed in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit came into your heart. Why? Because you cannot receive one member of the Trinity without the others coming in as well. Jesus doesn't say, I'm going into his heart, but Holy Spirit, you wait for him to have an experience. No, if Jesus comes into your heart, the Holy Spirit comes and the Father comes. You've got all three. But when we're talking about the baptism in the Holy Spirit or the fullness of the Holy Spirit... We're talking about the full manifestation or outflow of everything that the Holy Spirit comes into your life to bring. So you have received, if you are a Christian, if you have come to faith in Jesus, you have received the full person of the Spirit. Why? Because no person can manifest in percentages. I came to preach this morning, not 50% of me. I couldn't just send a head and an arm. I just need an arm to hold the mic and a head to talk. 100% of me had to come. I couldn't leave part of myself at home. I had to come in my entirety. And so when the Holy Spirit comes into your being, 100% of the Holy Spirit comes into your being. You have received the whole Spirit. But when we're talking about seeking the fullness of the Spirit, we're talking about seeking the full release of everything that He came to bring. And let me give you this analogy. If you bought a brand new supercomputer, but you only know how to use three programs, but it's got 87 applications, there are 84 applications that still can be made manifest 
in your life. You know how to manifest three of them. But you still got 84 other applications that are dormant. And you can actually live the rest of your life and only use those three programs and think you got it. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in with 87 programs. You only know how to manifest. Go to church Sunday, give the tithe, hug a few believers, and try to abstain from sin for a week at a time. Those might be the four programs, and then maybe, you know, you, you manifest, read the Bible 15 minutes a day and learn five scriptures. You know, I'm telling you that there are thousands of programs that are already in you, and the Holy Spirit wants to release them. And so we need to get a vision for spiritfulness. It doesn't start with your lack. It starts with your fullness. It doesn't start with your emptiness. It starts with your privilege. It starts with the fact that there's something in you that wants to come out. And you got to stop looking at other believers and saying, he's more anointed than me. Let me tell you something. Jesus is the anointed one. And the Holy Spirit has the power. Stop looking at believers saying, he's more powerful than me. No, the Holy Spirit is powerful. And the same spirit is in you. And the same Jesus is in you. And he's got all the same power. He's had it from beginning to end. What's the key? John chapter 7, verse 35. Or 37. One of those two. Let him who is thirsty, Jesus said, let him who is thirsty come to me and drink. For as the scripture says, Out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Then John interprets the statement of Jesus. He says, this he spoke of the Spirit. Let him who is thirsty. The operative word is thirsty. And let me ask you a question. Are you thirsty? Well, the primary answer is yes. You can't tell me you're not thirsty. Because it's hot in here. Lord. Every human being is thirsty. I don't care if you're a believer, not a believer, atheist. I don't care what you are. You're hungry for God. You may not know it, but you are. Every human being has a God-shaped void on the inside of their heart, and only God can fill it. And you can spend the rest of your life trying to fill it with all kinds of foolishness, and foolishness will never fill the void of your heart. Only God will fill it. The question is, are you aware that you're thirsty? This is the key. John Piper. I've quoted this again and again and again. I'll probably quote it a thousand more times. But John Piper said that if you do not hunger and thirst for the manifestation of the glory of God, it is not because you've drank deeply and are satisfied. It's because you've nibbled too long at the table of the world. Your soul is so stuffed with small things that there's no room for the great. Jesus said, let him who is thirsty. And in order to become aware that you are thirsty for the things of God, you've got to make a decision to push away from the table of the world and stop nibbling. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty for the kind of ecstasy that only God can bring? 
Or are you trying to get it from, well, ecstasy? Let him who was thirsty, Jesus says, come to me and drink. This morning, the word of the Lord would come and bring an invitation. And the invitation is to make an opening in your heart. To make an opening in your heart that says, Lord, I'm thirsty. Lord, allow my thirst to begin to emerge. And some of us here, our thirst is there, but it's just been so buried. Buried under so much foolishness. You say, I don't, I don't need anything. I'm happy with where I am in my relationship with God. I go to church. I don't smoke anymore. I don't cuss anymore unless they really push me. It's been a long time, though, at least a couple weeks. You know, they say I'm not the man I should be, but I'm definitely not the man I used to be. And that's enough for me. God has so much more than that for you. God has so much more than that for you. You got the supercomputer. Won't you let him teach you how to use it? There's a program that he wants to launch. It's called ecstasy. The fullness. I remember when I was a little boy and I would see people in my church speaking in tongues. And I used to ask my grandmother, what's it like? She'd say, what's what like? To be filled with the Holy Spirit. And she would smile and she'd say, Oh, Benjamin, it's the greatest joy that you could ever experience. There's nothing like it in all the world. It's the greatest joy. I got so excited as a little boy. I prayed every day, Oh, God, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. God, I just want to be filled, overflowing. And I'll never forget the night that the Holy Spirit just exploded on the inside of my being. You know what? It was everything that she said it was and more. I don't even have the words to describe to you the, ever, the overwhelming, the glorious and inexpressible joy that came from the presence of the Holy Spirit, the release of his life. God has that for you and more greater and greater joy you were not created for depression you were not created for discouragement you were not created for disillusionment you were not created to live in the low place you were created for the high place you were not created to struggle you were created to overcome you were created for victory And not just an ultimate victory sometime at the end of your life when Jesus comes. But a daily victory. A daily victory. A daily walk that is the life of the overcomer. That's what you were created for. It's time to get hungry for that because some of you have just gotten so used to being depressed and oppressed. So used to living with anxiety and fear. So used to feeling rejected. So used to living in frustration and irritation. You weren't created for that. That's not who you are. 
You're a child of God. You're a child of God. You know what? I've learned that to be a father, to be a parent, means that I have the responsibility to procure joy for my daughter. I have the responsibility to take her up into my joy. You know what I found the most powerful way to bring my daughter into my joy is? Is to look into her eyes. And in looking into her eyes, just to begin to rejoice over her. Make eye contact and just smile. You know what happens even in the brain is she begins to mimic the emotion that she sees in my eyes. Every, every second, there's six cycles of dopamine being released in her brain. When she looks in my eyes and I'm rejoicing in her and she begins to rejoice in her and in, in herself and in me before she's even aware of it. The Father's inviting you this morning to look into his eyes to look into his eyes, to lift up your head above that trial, to lift up your head above that chaos, above that situation, above, above that, that torment that you've been living. Lift up your head, O ye gates. Lift up your eyes. He wants to lift you up above it. He wants to take you into his ecstasy, but you've got to begin to hunger for it. You've got to begin to hunger. Just turn your heart to the Lord right now. Just lift up your eyes to the Lord. Open your mouth and begin to ask him to take you into his ecstasy. I'm not promising that everything's going to change right now. What I want right now is that you'd begin to hunger for it. That you'd begin to hunger for it like you never hungered before. That that hunger would drive you to your knees during the day. That it would wake you up in the middle of the night. Oh God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your Spirit. Come on, begin to talk to Him right now. The fullness of the Spirit. The fullness of the Spirit. If you're hungry this morning for the fullness of the Spirit, come to this altar right now. Just come stand at this altar right now. We're going to lay some hands. I believe the fullness of the Holy Spirit is coming. I believe the baptism in the Holy Spirit is coming. God is coming to satisfy the desire of every heart. He's coming to satisfy the desire of every mind. He's coming to restore us to the experiential awareness that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Come in, come in, come in. Come closer, come closer. More are coming behind you. More are coming behind you. Come on in, come on in. Everybody lift up your hands and just begin to talk to Jesus. Just begin to receive. Just begin to receive. Just begin to receive. This isn't about somebody releasing something to you. This is about God releasing something in you. This isn't about somebody laying their hands and giving you something. This is about God releasing what's already in you. It's in you already. It's in you already. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God, release, release, release. Release even the gift of tongues today, God. Release the manifestations of the Spirit. God, release even in the physical body. Let the presence of God be released. what you're feeling right now. The Spirit of God is coming right now. God's getting ready to break through the atmosphere of your heart and mind. Set your expectations higher. Don't be discouraged if you don't feel anything. I don't care what you feel. He's coming. He's coming. 
He's coming with clouds. He's coming with clouds, with billows of glory, with billows of glory, the glory of the Lord, the glory of the Lord. God, just let the atmosphere be filled. Let it be charged with your presence. Those of you out there in the house, just begin to pray, just begin to worship, just begin to seek the face of the Lord. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Yeah, 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 yeah. Some of you are going to get messed up today. Some of you are going to get wrecked today. Don't worry about it. Forget about your dignity. Forget about what it looks like. Don't be afraid of what happens in your body. Some of you are just going to get messed up by the power of God. Just let it mess you up. Just let him wreck you today. Let him wreck you today. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I don't care if it seems strange to you. Just let him do it. Let him do it. Let him do it. Let him do it. It's the love of God. It's the love of God. Filled overflowing right now. Filled overflowing. Filled overflowing. Filled overflowing. Filled overflowing. Don't get frustrated that you're not feeling anything. It's coming. It's coming. He's about to break through right now. Some of you, he's already breaking through. Some of you, he's already breaking through. He's coming. He's coming with clouds. He's coming with clouds. It's building, it's building, it's building, it's building, it's coming. Holy Spirit, break through right now. Break into our consciousness right now. Break into our consciousness right now. To overflowing God. While you're here, just renounce every other form of ecstasy. If you've run to another rock, just renounce it right now. If you've sought by your own power to satisfy the desires of your heart, just renounce it right now. Renounce every form of sin. Renounce every form of rebellion right now. We turn away from it. We turn away from it. Only you can satisfy the desires of my heart, God. Only you can satisfy the desires of my heart, God. Only you can satisfy the desires of my heart, God. Only you, God.
I feel it rising. I feel it rising. The anointing is coming. The anointing is rising. The presence of God is rising. It's rising. It's rising. The glory of God is rising. It's rising. It's rising. Come on, don't stop, don't stop, don't stop, don't stop, don't stop. Don't stop. Yeah. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's another level of this. There's another level of this. God, take us to that another level. Take us to that higher level. There's another level of power coming right now. There's another level of power coming right now. There's another level of power coming right now. Release in Jesus' name. Be filled right now in Jesus' name. Be full and overflowing right now in Jesus' name. release that hunger release that hunger whatever that hunger is buried under release it right now release it remove it remove it God dig out our hunger dig out our hunger dig out our hunger
God, send fire, send fire, send fire. Let the fire of God fall on this altar right now. Let the fire of God fall on this altar right now. I prayed in the name of Jesus. I prayed in the name of Jesus. want to make sure that every one of you from front to back that you receive you receive the breath of God in a brand new way today yeah as Mickey leads us into one more song I want you to lift your hearts I want you to lift your eyes I want you to lift your hands I want you to look into your father's eyes before you leave, before you walk out, I want you to look into your father's eyes and see the joy and delight and receive his breath, receive his fire. Amen. Jesus. Father, today, God, as your sons and daughters, God, are standing in your presence, God, so many of us, we experience frustration instead of joy. God, so many of us, God, we have experienced, God, hopelessness instead of delight, God. So many of us, God, past one week or past one month, God, we were, God, we experienced depression and discouragement. But, God, we were not. We learned, God, we are not created for that. We were not created for frustration. We were not created for hopelessness. We were not created for discouragement. So today, God, God, today, God, as we look, as we lift our eyes to you, God, we release right now. Come on. I want you to release that frustration. I want you to release that anger, release that depression, that discouragement. I want you to release it right now in his presence. And I want you to allow God to fill that place with his delight, with his joy. Amen. Father, I thank you that today is the beginning. That what you're doing in this service right now is you're unearthing the hunger. God, I pray that it would not be buried again. But I pray that as we leave and as we end this service, that it would go to a deeper place. I pray that we would hunger and thirst even more as we go. And that you would teach us to live in the grip of these two great realities. Number one, that we have received the Holy Spirit. But number two, that we are hungry to receive the Holy Spirit. Fully. The full release 
of what you've put on the inside of us. Cause us to hunger for the ecstasy of the Spirit. That intense delight. That rapturous joy. That's what we were created for. That's what you created us for. Intense delight. Glorious and inexpressible joy. I pray that you would release us into that place. That you teach us to live there. I pray that testimonies would come back all week long. That the baptism in the Holy Spirit would be released in this house. Even as we scatter and go to our respective locations. That we come back next week with testimonies. Man, I got filled with the Holy Spirit in the middle of the night. I was overwhelmed by the, the power and presence of the Holy Spirit on my way to my job. I was on the BART train, and I couldn't contain it. I was over, overcome by the presence of God. God, come in your glory. Come in your power. And we thank you for it, God. We give you all the praise and glory. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Come on, give God a shout of praise.